fear and distrust and suspicion to knowing I'm his son and daughter. I had complete confidence in him. You know, um, and that I perceived all that he did for me was done out of his graciousness because he has my best interests at heart, and I completely trust him in that. Okay, so that's where the Holy Spirit wants to bring us to. And we all have our fears and distrust and suspicions of God, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit to heal our heart of that. How does he heal our heart? Well, the sacraments. That's what, why the sacraments were given to us. Grace. Grace was meant to heal that wound of fear and distrust in our hearts. It's kind of like, you know, you know, if you cut your, cut your hand, the middle of your hand, and there was a, a wound there, you'd have to clean it out and get stitches, you know, and then you have to be careful how you used it. Um, but you would be, every day, you'd be cleaning it out, making sure it was clean. You know, you go to the doctors, make sure the stitches were, everything was healing and so on. Well, going to the sacraments is like divine life, divine grace. We call it grace, but it's divine life that heals the wound in my hand. This, in this case, it's the wound of my soul, of distrust, of suspicion of God. You know, of fear of him. Fear in the sense of, not reverence of him, that's a good fear. Fear meaning, stay, you know, Keep your distance. <laughs> you know, don't touch what is mine. I'll do the things that you want me to do. I'll offer this and offer that. But, you know, keep your distance here. It's not like walking in the cool of the garden with him. You know. In fact, I don't think I want to walk in the cool of the garden. I don't know if you worry he's going to take me if I go in the cool of the garden with him. <laughs> okay. So that's that distrust of him. And that's what all, we all have this. This is not the people that got more and more free of it in this life were the saints. They were the ones that were were able to get their hearts so healed in this life that they, they could trust him more and more. Um, but they had the same Holy Spirit that we had. They didn't get any more Holy Spirit than we did. They didn't get like, you know, 110% Holy Spirit, you know. <laughs> now, the same Holy Spirit they got is the same Holy Spirit we got. No more, no less. Okay. And so all of us then had potential and we're all called to be saints. Because the whole same Holy Spirit wants to transform our heart and free us of fear and distrust. That's what Paul is talking about here. Okay, so that's what he means by... Okay, so, so he has some biblical references here that, and he's actually going back to thinking of the Exodus event. You know, Charleston Heston, the Ten Commandments, remember that? <laughs> okay, all right. So, the, so the, he, the Israelites were in Egypt. They were slaves, and uh, basically, they had some problems with God because they thought, where is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, he did come in the, through Moses, right? And after a while, they kind of distrusted Moses. Finally, they said, okay, we believe you. And then they got delivered out of the slavery of Egypt or Pharaoh. His, and their fear of God what began to be healed when they got, say, saw God do great things for them and deliver them out of Egypt. That's what Paul is referring to by slavery, to fall back into fear. But you receive the spirit of sonship when you cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba uh, is, a, is a word in Aramaic that means daddy. Okay, Papa, if you would. Okay. That's, that sense of intimacy is to express our relationship between us and God. And um, 
I've used this example before, uh, I think in homilies. If, if, you, uh, if you raise children, if you had a son or daughter, and somebody would go up to your son and daughter, say they're like maybe 10, 11 years old, and they go up to them and you say, well, you know, is, is that your mom and dad? And your son or daughter looks at them and says, well, I think so. No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I hope, you know, I think, well, do they love you and care for you? Yeah, I think they do. You know, you would say, as a parent, I, I imagine you would you'd be hurt over that, you know, because you would want your son and daughter to have trust in you and be able to respond in a very spontaneous way. Yes, that's, that's my mom. That's my dad. Yes, I, I, I trust them. I, you know, I know they love me. I'm confident. In their love. Well, that's the same way God wants us to be with him. And who gets us there? It's the Holy Spirit gets us there. That's, how, that's why the Holy Spirit was given. That's why Jesus came and died, was raised up, and had to go back to heaven and pour out the Holy Spirit. So each of us could have the Holy Spirit living in us through the waters of baptism so that we could begin to grow in trust and confidence and love of God as our Father, our Papa, and we as his son and daughter. The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reverse what happened in the garden to our first parents. So that's why, you know, we're big here and you'll hear constantly here. We pray for more of the Holy Spirit to be released in our life, more presence, more power, more of your Holy Spirit, Lord, pour out upon us. Because it's the Holy Spirit who is the one who dwells in us that needs to be more filling our life. We have to be more conscious, more aware of his presence and power in us so that we can cooperate with him when he wants to change us. Because his whole goal is to lead us to more, more and more trust the Father as our Papa and we as know ourselves in relationship in his son and daughter. Okay. Let's move on to number three. A life without desperation. And the reason for that is hope, hope is restored. That's what goes in the line here. Hope is restored. Okay, we're running out of time. I have to go through some of these verses quickly. It's verses 18 through 26. You can read it more fully. Let me just go through bits and pieces of it here. Verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subject to fertility, not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. Because creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay attain the glorious liberty of the children of God. Okay, so what's Paul talking about here? He's saying that creation was never meant to, um, was never meant to experience any kind of diminishment. Creation was to be, at its best, revealing the glory and majesty of God. But we know, as beautiful as creation can be, we also know there's a, there's a dark side of creation. You know, if you ever hung around a tornado, you know, dark side of creation, or an earthquake, okay? Not a very pleasant feeling, you know? So, um, so that's the dark side. So what Paul is saying is that creation longs for the day when it can finally be free of any dark side 
And that dark side came from our first parents that sinned, that unleashed into the world all kinds of evil. Okay. So he says, creation looks for the day when it can be finally aligned in harmony. He says, the, for, he says, for the glorious liberty of the children of God. And that will occur when you and I are fully, have our new resurrected bodies. So no more knee replacements, Betty. <laughs> okay. No more hip replacements, okay? <laughs> and bodies that will no longer be attracted to sin or to any kind of, you know, hostility towards God, you know, will be complete harmony. That's called heaven, okay? So what the Holy Spirit does, this is a key part now, why hope is restored. The Holy Spirit's job is to more and more so change me in this life, so change you in this life, that I realize that he's serious about giving me a resurrected body in which I will be fully in union with the Lord. And that's hope. Okay. Let's take a look at that passage here, verse 26. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows that uh, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So in other words, Paul is saying here, the Holy Spirit is given to me to help me in life situations. I don't always know how to pray as I should. The Holy Spirit helps me to pray. Because he has an investment in me. He has an investment in you. His goal is to so change me and change you so that I can be in complete union with the Lord. That is the resurrected body. So he's here to be your and my help, helper. He's, in fact, that's one of the terms called for him as a helper. He's called counselor. He's called advocate. Um, it means someone who comes alongside to help us out. Because he has an investment in us. So, I don't have to be discouraged when I look at the areas of sin in my life and say, oh my God, you know, I keep on, that same sin keeps popping up, keeps popping up, you know. I'm sure the priest is tired of hearing it, you know, I'm tired of bringing it to him and so on. But here's the point, is that we don't need to be discouraged because the Holy Spirit is committed to changing me so I can become into union with the Father one day completely and totally in heaven, give me a resurrected body. He's committed to doing that. That's like his job description, is to, is to work on me, to change me. And that, so I don't have to be discouraged by my sinfulness. I just have to say, I'm sorry, I repent, I surrender to you, you take it and change me. Okay, because I can't, I'm not doing a good job with it, but you can. Okay. Okay, number four. A life without miscalculation, and that's uh, God's purposes are worked out. Some of the uh, verse 28 and 29 and 30 are some of the most beautiful passages here um, in Scripture. Let's, let's look at it. For we know that in everything God works for the good with those that love him who are called according to his purpose. I'll just stop there for a minute. Okay. And what's... Uh, so first of all, God is at work for making everything fit into a pattern for my good, for your good. Everything. 
not just some things, not just spiritual things, everything, everything about your life and my life. And what, why? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The whole job of God's whole purpose is to make me like Jesus. That's his whole job. That's what he wants. He wants to make me like Jesus. He wants to make you like Jesus. So therefore, in my life, in your life, there's no miscalculation. Okay. Everything that happens fits into a pattern for the good. St. Augustine said that God even writes straight with crooked lines. So, you know, if you think, gee, I really, you know, I was taking three steps forward and doing really good, but then I really veered off, you know. Well, God has the power to write straight with crooked lines. That's what, because he's committed to fitting everything into a pattern for our good. Now, I have to cooperate with him, but he's, on his end, he's committed. So anytime I turn to him and say, okay, Lord, I really veered off there, he's committed to fitting everything into a pattern for my good. Because he wants to conform me to the image of Jesus. Saint, uh, the little flower um, was asked once, uh, and it's her spiritual uh, confessor said that she never committed a mortal sin. You know, never. So, and some, so somebody asked her once. She said, "Well, what if you committed a really bad sin? What would you do?" She said, "I, I would, I would just run to the Father. What else could I do?" See the confidence she has there. It wasn't like, oh, I think I'll take to the hills, you know. And it was like, no, it was like, I'll go to the Father. What else could I do? The confidence and the trust in his mercy. When she was on her deathbed dying, she was actually uh, gasping for air. Uh, you know, she had TB, basically, which she's dying of. And uh, she was really sharp with one of her nuns. And one of the nuns corrected her about that. And she said, oh, uh, what she saying? Um, another fault, she said, I can take to the mercy of God. She wasn't bummed out by it, you know. I mean, if I was in her shoes, I would say, please get, cut me some slack here, <laughs> okay. I'm gasping for breath, you know, <laughs> you know, cut me some slack. But no, what she did was she, another fault I take to the mercy of God. See the confidence she has in her papa, her daddy, bringing her mercy to his daughter. That's what we're supposed to be like. Now, we all know that because, you know, if your parents, you know, you, you, you know, imperfect, obviously, we're, you know, everybody's in not perfect, so you make mistakes along the way, but you know in your heart of hearts, you want your daughter or son to respond to you that way. And if you, you know, we're all children of somebody, we would be able to want to respond to them that way and they to, to us that way. We know intuitively that that's the way it should be. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's the way it should be. But in relationship to God, that's the kind of confidence and trust we're, supposed, we're called to have. Who, may, who, who does that for us? That's the Holy Spirit's job, to make that happen in us. Okay, number five here. Getting towards the end. A life without intimidation... And underneath that, I have a life of confidence. Let's look at verses 31 through 34. Paul says this, What shall we say to this? If God is for us, who 
is against us. These are some of the most beautiful passages that Paul penned, I think. He, verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? These are all rhetorical questions. Is God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes, who was raised from the dead, who's, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Okay, so let's take a look at that here. Um, we're to live a life in which we have confidence uh, in the Lord. So we aren't to live intimidated in regards to him. Because God is for us, he's not against us. When Paul says here, justified, um, verse 33, is God who justified. He's talking here about the cross, which Jesus did at the cross for each of us. Who is to condemn? Is God, God's not going to condemn us because he sent his son for us. Verse 32, he didn't even spare his own son, which means he didn't keep him back from the cross. Rather, he allowed his son, he gave him up, which is a sh- shorthand for saying he went through the passion and rejection of men and suffering on our behalf. So Paul is saying, hey, look, you know, God didn't even spare his own son. Is he going to condemn you? Of course not. He didn't, he, he didn't even spare his own son for you. So is he going to charge you with something? No. Is he going to condemn you? No. Because he justified you through the cross. So let's look at what else he says here. Is Christ Jesus who died, yes, was raised up from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, which means he reigns in power, who intercedes for us. So he's praying for us right now. If you want to know what Jesus' job description right now is, he's praying for us. He's interceding for us. He's interceding for us to grow in what is his plan of salvation for us. And, And a significant part of that plan is to have confidence in his divine love poured into our hearts. Number six, a life without limitation, uh, a life of trust in God. Again, this is verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not give us all things with him? So Paul is saying here, God didn't even spare his own son for you, so no matter what situation you find yourself in, will he not be there working on your behalf? That's what a way of saying that. Will he not give us all things with him? Will he not provide for you in that situation? It's kind of like the Israelites in the desert. They saw God do wonderful, miraculous things in the desert. So after they've been in the desert for a little while, they say things like this, uh, where's the water? <laughs> Where's the water? It's like Moses, I said, you know, come on, guys. He, took, he just took you out of Egypt, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. You, he just, you just saw him defeat Egyptian army, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, right? Uh, and you're asking where the water is? Like, he'll provide for the water. We don't, don't get upset. Well, they, got really, they grumbled. They got really upset. And then they said, we're hungry. You know, we don't like the desert food. So, so what he said? He sends manna from heaven. You know, supernaturally, I mean, they just all kind of came and dropped in their lap, you know, uh, the, the manna that is, you know, they gathered up in the morning. And they said, we don't, you know, it's not, the supernatural manna is nice, but we like meat. <laughs> okay, so, so what do you, so, okay, so what's God do? In the evening, he sends quail, and they fall right in their lap. They have quail, so they have manna in the morning, they have quail in the night, so they have bread, and they have meat. 
You know, it's like Paul is saying, God's providing for you. Don't get upset. Don't get, you know, he's working on your behalf. And then they say things like this. We, uh, we miss the cucumbers of Egypt. <laughs> and, you know, the, the melons of Egypt. We miss that, you know. It's like, so Paul, I mean, Moses just threw his hands up in the air and just said it. So here's the point is that God's at work on our behalf no matter what the situation is because he's given his own son for us. He's committed to us. He's committed to our salvation. Okay, number seven, the last one, a life without separation. Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? By the way, the the fill in there is a life of union with God. Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And again, that's Paul's shorthand for the passion, the death, the resurrection of Jesus when he says that. That's how we know God's love for us is through the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 38, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from a love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Basically, he's saying there that look at God's commitment to your life because he's given everything through his son Jesus for you. Nothing can separate you from from friendship or union with him. Nothing. Nothing inside of you, nothing outside of you. Nothing that happens to you. Nothing in your past, nothing in your present, nothing in your future can separate you from union, from friendship with him. I'm sure you've heard of this uh, the story, um, the man who died and went to heaven, and they were showing movies of his life, you know, and there he is a picture of a man who's walking on the beach and there were two sets of footprints, you know, uh, up to the incidents where there were trials in the guy's life and then he knows there's only one set of footprints. And so he said to the Lord, he turned to the Lord and said, Lord, what happened there? Where were you? And God said, you know, that's when I began to pick you up and carry you, you know. And, and that's so nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, you know. Um, even in those moments of the trials in our life, you know, he's there to be at work on our behalf because he's committed everything through his son, Jesus, to us. That's why I often tell people, you know, um, who struggle with God, wondering where is God in their life, I say, go look at a crucifix. There you see the commitment of his love for you. That's, that's the measure. That's the benchmark of his commitment to your life. So if you want to know how much you're worth, look at a crucifix. If you want to know God's investment in you, look at the crucifix. If you want to know whether he's working in your life or not, just look at the crucifix. John 10, verse 28 says this. Jesus says, and we'll go into discussion after this. 
they are in my hand, and no man can pluck them out. John 10, verse 28. They are in my hand, and no man can pluck them out. Again, that's the commitment the Lord makes to us. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring all this home to us, to make this real to us. That's what he desires to do, to make all this a living, experiential reality for our life. He wants us to walk around with this kind of confidence and this kind of security and this kind of sense of God's commitment to us. He wants us to walk around with a sense of knowing that he's my papa and I'm his I'm his child, I'm his son, his daughter. You know, um, What that's to lead me to do is to be, when I grow, as I'm growing in that, and my heart becomes more and more trustful of that, it leads me to grow more in love towards others as well as towards God. Uh, it leads me to be more uh, using my whole life, my resources, my gifts, everything about me. I want to make it more and more available for his use. That's what it leads me to, because I can trust him more and more. Okay, so let's break into small groups for a few minutes. Just talk about, there's a whole lot here. Just talk about what really stood out to you.